even $100,000 people are going to change. I don't throw darts at a board. I bet on sure things. Read Sun Tzu, The Art of War. Every battle is won before it's ever fought. Think about it. Welcome, closers, to another episode of the Profitable Property Management Podcast. I am back in action interviewing my man, Paul Kankowski. Paul, welcome to the show. Hi, everybody. Nice to be here. Paul, uh, I have known you for probably about four, maybe coming on five years now. And you, your, your work in the industry has changed a bit as you have, over the last couple of years, stepped into a different role specifically around providing some leadership in the area of systems. So some folks have been there. Some folks have, have heard about it. We're going to be talking today about systems. It's important, the lessons that you've learned, what you've gotten from dogfooding, technology, and consulting, and uh, a lot of just effort yourself. Before we get into all of that, tell me a little bit about your business, where it's at today. Okay. Uh, my business, we have 200 doors. We're in Southern California. And uh, we've adding five to 10 doors a month about and just steadily growing. And what happened was how I got into systems was about last September. So a year and a half ago, everything before that was me. And I didn't need systems because it was all in my head about two years ago, because I was about a hundred doors. And once we broke over a hundred doors, um, everything, I started hiring people and everything started going to crap. And so, um, I wanted to get someone to, um, present to us about what was a good system. So I found a presenter and uh, he was pricely price. He cost a lot. So I said, Hey, let's just get 10 property managers together and um, share the cost of them. So that's how I got kind of got started on being in the systems was because my systems weren't good. And um, so for the last two years, I've been working really hard on my systems and uh, it's just been it's just been a game changer, like customer service wise and everything else. It's really, really helped my company so much. Um, but it was, it was all started because I wanted to try to share the cost. And that's how I got this workshop that I started. So in terms of the progression of your business, you mentioned that there was just some growth in terms of raw unit count. What other shifts have, have happened? I remember you were a participant in the initial benchmarking study that we did. When you think about what your business looked like at 100 doors versus what it looks like at 200 doors, what are the... What are the differences specifically in terms of facilitating your goals as a business owner? Like, are you happy that you grew to 200 and what's different being at 200 versus 100? I'm happy I grew to 200. I want to be growing more. As as we've all heard and seen lately, there's been a lot of um, sell-off. So growing 100 doors and having, you know, sell-off in the last year and a half. So it's it's, it's been harder to grow than it was a few years ago for some people when with less sell-off. Uh, the biggest thing that I've gotten out of being in your study four years ago was when I was in your study four years ago, I was pathetic on my um, amount of money I made per door. It was, uh, I mean, I wasn't focusing on that. So that's been another big change, you know, really focusing on better service for my customers, 
charging for what we do for my customers and um, differentiating ourselves not on price, but on service. And that service differentiates on systems being a good place, being able to handle HOA violations quickly and efficiently, you know, not letting things just drop along the side. So we've had almost, it's been about a 70% increase on our per door revenue in the last, since that. So wow. Uh, we went from $105 per door to $185. So that's, um, you know, that was a pretty that's, that's huge, huge. Yeah. So, and, and it was, and it was everything we're doing. I feel we're giving our customers a better product. Um, we're not gouging our customers. We're doing things that everyone in the industry is now starting to become, um, you know, it's second pet rent and residence benefits package and using companies to get filters and just using stuff that brings better customer service, but also brings us income. Yeah, absolutely. And so as you're making these changes, you said a second ago that everything kind of went to crap and that spawned the interest in systems. For a lot of us, it, it crisis, the beauty of the gift of crisis is that it is a catalyst for action. So what specifically did you mean when you said that things kind of went to crap before you waded into systems? Well, I'm a big fan of virtual assistants or employees that are remote. And I started having a employee that was remote in the Philippines and I, and, and it was just, it was unsuccessful. I mean, it was, it failed miserably. Things were not good. And, um, I thought, Oh, it's the employee. It's this. And, and a lot of it was the employee. I mean, it wasn't a great stellar employee, but it was also the fact that, you know, I had, Hey, do this. And I'd have 20 steps for them to do. Oh, but on this one, you just skip those four steps, but it didn't tell them like, answer question. They just had a no to skip those four steps because in my head, I knew I skipped those four steps because this owner was this, or this was this way. And so it wasn't, you know, explicit details on what they needed to do. Now I have a lot of, um, remote employees in Mexico and I've actually spent four weeks down in Mexico this year, getting my systems in place with them. But like, if they have to pay a utility bill, there's very specific questions. Is this Paul's property? Yes or no. And it's a completely different step. If it's my property or if it's someone else's property, then there's, um, was it during a vacancy? Was it, uh, uh, when the tenant was living there, completely different steps. And the biggest thing I found was when my system for that one, this was one that we've worked on all this year was I looked at it. I didn't have charges for utilities, like, you know, charge the owner, charge the tenant, wherever it was. And, about 80% of utility charges were not happening because when you have someone remotely doing it and you don't tell them specifically what to do, you have money just draining out the, you know, it's just losing it. And so a lot of that money wasn't that, you know, maybe four years ago, we didn't have those charges in place. We just weren't doing a good job collecting them. And that's Ooh. where the system is. That's where the system doesn't allow you to go forward. Oh, we're not going to charge that. Owner. No, you charge every owner this process. And then if the owner complains and there's some reason why, but it was, it's very set. My employees know there's no, oh, don't charge this owner, but charge this one, but then charge this one on, on the left-hand side. I mean, it's just, it's a set. Everything's the same. Everything's fair. Um, and that's where I saw the problem was from being a one person show to having, you know, eight employees. 
So you, we're transitioning from this tribal knowledge, which has has its own advantages, right? When the leasing department, when coordinating between the leasing department and the maintenance department and the accounting department is you talking to yourself because it's a one-man show, there's obviously a lot of efficiency there. The downside is that when an organization is built upon tribal knowledge that you just kind of instinctually remember that this client is Dave and Dave's the really cranky owner and you have to do things this special way for him, it prevents <clears throat> scaling and it makes you more vulnerable when somebody chooses to leave. My sense is that as remote team members offshore specifically become more popular, people are getting a little bit more cognizant about hedging against the possibility of churn, realizing that uh, this VA somewhere may not make it in the long run. They may not be here 12 months from now. So there, there's more intentionality on the front side in building a system that is not person dependent. You mentioned you had a VA in the Philippines and it wasn't working. Did the systems fix it for that person or was there also some, some seat churn that needed to happen to get the right person that was willing to run the systems in the way that you designed them? This person didn't want to follow systems, and so it, the person didn't work. I mean, even after, I mean, I started off with a sauna, and even after I had checklists for a sauna, this person would, at the end of the week, do the checklist. And that is ridiculous. So even when I set up systems, they would do all the work during the week, and at the end of the week, they'd spend two hours checking out the <laughs> checklist. And that is just like, and so I couldn't get this person to follow the way, and maybe it was because they started off on the wrong foot. So I had to start off new. And my, my new people, they know that everything you do, you check off why you're doing it. You do it, you know, and it's like, and sometimes I think, oh, it's repetitive task. Oh, it's boring. I, when I move someone in, um, and I have certain duties I do still, I've tried to eat all my duties that are off my desk, but I still do systems every once in a while just to see where they're broken. Like I'll pay a utility bill um, every once in a while because I want to see, oh, is, is everything working with that? Hmm. And even when I do it, I will watch every single step and check it off as I do it. Because then I'm like, oh, wow, this one's not working because we didn't do this step in the right process. But I find when people just do all the work and then check it off afterwards, it's like, why even have a system? It, it needs to be done while you're doing it. If you're supposed to, um, if you put a sign up in the yard and you're supposed to check it off on your phone, you know, it's so quick and easy, just check off that you did that because otherwise we're in the office going, did we put a sign on? And now we're having the question. Now we have to send someone back up there to check to see if there's a sign in the yard or a lockbox on. So by doing it right then, too many people think, oh, I'll remember that when I get back to the office. You don't. You just, your days are too busy, 24, 20 phone calls come in. So it's getting my employees to understand that the system is so important because in the end, it's less work. Okay, so it's got to be driving outcomes. Let's talk about some objections that people have. Paul, even as you communicated all of that, I can hear someone saying in the back of their mind, well, Paul, it sounds like you just run an office of robots and automatons. You know, Smart people should know how to do their job. I shouldn't have to spell it out in a system. What's your response to that? You know, if you want to hire all $100,000 people that figured that out and go through that, good for you. I mean, um, even $100,000 people are going to change and make changes that you as a company might not like, and they might do things different. Um, I want consistency. I want owner A, owner B, and owner C to get the same, um, the same type of uh, outcome at the end. So like when owner A says, hey, you guys did this. And I could say, well, that's not part of our policies. We didn't do that. I, I, I can confidently say we didn't do that. 
If I don't know how everyone um, runs, then I'd be like, oh, I, I, maybe we did. Maybe we did. You just have too much, um, too much out there. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I feel like I have smart people working for me and I feel like it's better to have smart people not have to, for the basic stuff, just be able to get it done. And we have too much on our mind. I mean, there's other things we can be smart about. There's other things we can get an overview picture. I personally like my people doing it the same way. So another objection is change. And this is something that I'm seeing now as systems are being hard-coded, built, automation, workflow, tech. There's a sea change and a bunch of energy being pointed at that. The thing that's in the back of of some folks' minds is, Paul, systems change. The systems that you run a hundred business, hundred unit PM business on are different than 200 and they're all broken at 400 and rebroken at a thousand. So all this investment that you're talking about, you have to keep making. So, so, you know, a, why is it worth it? And then more specifically, how do you acknowledge and deal with the fact that systems are bound to change over time? Every system changes. Like, all the time. I agree with that a hundred percent. And so, and the problem is, is if you try to change it during the busy season, like right when there's a million things going on, you're not going to get it right. I have one person in my office who is a manager and their main job is to make sure our systems are efficient, make sure our systems are being done right. Um, and to help when, cause employees are going to have complaints. Hey, this isn't efficient. I think we should do it this way. And if it makes sense, let's, let, let's change it. I mean, I'm not one of those people that says, Hey, we're going to do a, B and C, and this is all we're going to do. You're talking about people having brains. That's a good thing about brains. I just don't want you to just do things your own way. If you find somewhere that's better and find a way that's better to do it, then let's have a meeting. Let's have three people go over it and then let's change the system for the entire company. Um, I, I, our move-in process is continuously changing to be more and more efficient and to be more and more owner-friendly. Uh, we change the letter. We might make a video that we send to an owner. We might make a, add a thank you gift. I mean, all those things we add, but when we add them, we add it for everybody we're doing dealing with. What about the objection that it's just not possible? There's too much variability there, too many factors, too many conditions, too many circumstances. So it's, it's therefore, it would be impossible to document everything. Do you agree with that to the degree that you are using policies ahead of systems to kind of systematically narrow the scope of the work that you have to, to do? Because it, it seems like there is a, a sense in which if you have no policies and procedures in place, trying to systematize chaos is effectively impossible. You need policies and procedures, and there's going to be things that there's no system for. Um, we've had two evictions in the history of our company. I'm going through an eviction right now. I don't have a, I don't have a process or a system for an eviction because um, the last one was 2014. Um, I call it an eviction company. We're working on it, and I'm dealing with it because I don't have that. It's something that happens very rarely. I, and it's not something that I'm systemized. I hope I never have a detailed, oh, this is what we do because we get 12 a year or 14 a year. I mean, I'm hoping it's once in every blue moon. Now, the company I'm dealing with for the eviction, their process is horrible. They deal with one every day. And they, I have to call them every time I want to find out what's going on. And I have to say, hey, did you post that notice? Oh, yeah, we posted three days ago. Um, can I get a copy of what you posted? Can I get, oh, oh yeah, that was sent to you. I'm like, no, it wasn't. And so I'm seeing with companies I'm dealing with that have horrible systems. That's all they do is evictions. 
They should have a set system for what they do. What you do on a daily basis, when you screen a screen an applicant, you should have a system for how you screen applicants. You should have set criteria because that's something as a property manager, we do every day, all day long. Would you have a system for, um, you know, uh, birds at the roof? Yeah. onboarding you do all the time but like let's say something like birds hit the roof and something crazy happens you don't have systems for random stuff that's going to happen you have to react to random stuff and you have to deal with it but stuff that you do on a consistent basis pay utilities onboarding um you know uh move in move out those are we have systems for because those are the things where you know the move in oh did you freight this video oh i forgot it i didn't check it off i didn't do it you can forget things that in the end you tell your owners you're going to give them this quality customer service and then you're forgetting parts of the important thing that you sold them on and that's why you have systems so let's talk about the value prop here of what I actually get for taking your advice and going all in on systems. Is it simply documenting what I already do? If so, I can see some value in that, but probably less so than actually improving it. Can you give me an example of a system that has dramatically improved over time from when you first committed to documenting it to, you know, tw- whatever, tw- uh, 18 months later now that you've been on this kick? HOAs, um, HOA violations. Uh, if you're in California, Nevada, any Arizona, any of the Western states where everything is under HOA, HOA violations, I lost business because of it, because we were just doing um, willy nilly, you know, oh, let's just figure it out. Let's call the HOA. Um, Let's do this. We weren't contacting the owner enough. HOA violations can take three to four months sometimes to complete. If it's trash cans, it's a very quick, easy thing. But I'm talking like um, there's grass. Well, the HOA, you, you go solve the problem. The HOA has a month later where they come and go test it and they go check it and you have to call the HOA. So it was having weekly automated emails to the owners. Hey, we're just working on this HOA. We want to let you know we called the HOA and it's still not completed. But another week or two weeks later, hey, we just want to let you know this is the progress of your HOA. Now, if we, in the past, we'd have an HOA violation, someone would call, they'd deal with it. And then the owner would be on, you know, wouldn't find any information out for two or three months. In that time period, he's getting letters from the HOA because the HOA is still hounding the owner and the owner thinks we're not doing anything about it. And it wasn't that, that we weren't doing anything. We weren't communicating with the owner. We weren't over communicating with the owner. And that was a critical point. And I lost three or four owners because of that. One of them had five properties. And that was when I was like, damn, we were doing the work. We just, the tree fell in the woods and we weren't there to show the owner that we cut it up. Like Mm -hmm. it was, we, so now that process, now we over communicate with the owners. And since then our owner's like, wow, you're on top of this. Damn, you guys are really doing a good job. And so even when the HOA sends them a notice, they're like, oh, well, we know that our company's working on it because they're getting those. So that was something that was huge for us. We were already doing the process, but we were losing owners because we weren't over communicating it. You just made a distinction between doing the work versus communicating and getting credit for having done the work. Let's parlay that into the documentation side of the job. Property management is unique in the sense that the internal documentation or the need for that does in many cases become critical in the event that there is uh, litigation or a claim of, of, of something less, just like um, insufficient service etc. Have you found yourself using any or referencing any internal documentation about process completion and execution to prove to an owner that's that such and such work or activity did or did not happen? 
Yes. And we've used it many times with HOAs. HOAs will say, you've never called us. We said on March 3rd, we called you. We talked to Susan. This is what was stated. And this is all in our process that was there. On March 10th, we talked to Paul and he said this. On March 17th, we talked to this and we have all this documentation. And these are all people that work in the company and they're like, okay, we'll waive the fine. I mean, we've had that multiple times where like there's a 2000, I mean, we had one was a $2,000 HOA fine that we had been fighting for six months because, um, there was, it was really stupid issue, but we kept solving it and they kept saying it wasn't, and we would take pictures and we would document it. And then we basically sent them all this documentation and they waived the entire fine. Our owner thought of us as heroes because we had documented, we had proof, we had fought this HOA. And this HOA is notorious for being bullies and for being just total jerks. But when they saw our documentation, they probably said, oh yeah, these guys, if, if we go to court, we're going to lose. So um, I, I, that's, that was huge. And that, like I said, that's one HOA process. And that was one that, you know, I worked on this year. It started in January. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's been a game changer on a lot of things that we do. I know a lot of areas don't need HOAs. Other one would be um, move outs. You know, move outs, uh, we had um, really good property managers and they would do the move outs and they did it differently. I would do it differently than Drew would do it. And Carter might not do this right. It was systemizing everything so that we did everything the same way. So that if I ever had to go to court, I knew we had this document, we had this document, we had these things. And I didn't have to say, Hey, did we, did we get this? Oh yeah, we got this. But you know, these 10 photos of what we're supposed to have for this weren't taken. So it, uh, having systems, having procedures, I think they're very, they're all in a wrapped in the same thing. You take your procedures and you mix, you, you systemize your procedures. So, um, that, that's why, like I said, I've been working on these workshops and the main reason I'm working on it is to improve it. Um, I, I don't think any owner, I mean, I have owners that go to my workshop with, with over a thousand doors and they're, they've been there every single time because even when you have a thousand doors, your, your procedures, your systems aren't complete. They're always going to be working on them. PM Grow is back. The property management conference for growth minded entrepreneurs. For those of you that are committed to investing in yourself, to changing your inner dialogue, inner game, to networking with the best and from learning from entrepreneurs that have done and lived and come to the place where you want to be today. It's taking place in Austin, Texas. May 27th through the 29th in 2020. Go to pmgrowsummit.com to check it out. We'll see you there. Sure. This is the sort of thing that you might imagine or fantasize you focus on for three months and then you got it dialed in. But the reality is you, because you're choosing to continue to grow, you're effectively breaking, voluntarily breaking all of your own systems. And there's that need to constantly pay attention. Let's let's keep focusing on the folks that are executing the systems. As we know, huge explosion of interest in remote team members, specifically of the offshore variety. You've dabbled in that. A bunch of folks that have come to the systems conference 
um, some of, of whom that I've discussed this with in person there, are using remote team members as well. And there is kind of a parity or a connection between the focus on systems and remote team members. Talk to me a little bit about your thoughts on what does or doesn't work when working with remote team members and how to make that kind of a dynamic relationship work when you don't have the crutch of being able to just turn to the person next to you. Well, remote team members are like any employee and people say, oh, they failed because they're remote or they, they make some bullshit excuse of why remote team members fail. Remote team members fail because you don't give them proper guidance. And I've had people text message remote team members on what they need to do for the process. Or they, uh, after two weeks, the remote team member, they've given them 20 tasks and they're like, well, they couldn't get them done. I'm sorry, but if you had someone in my office, would you give them 20 different tasks, text message them and give them a voicemail and tell them, hey, I want you to finish those 20 tasks? They're not going to, to get it accomplished. I mean, so when I start with remote team members, I give them very simple tasks. Uh, and it, we, it starts off with them listening to another team member answer the phone, like for the first half of the day. Then they have to answer the phone just, you know, um, and they won't know anything, but they have to answer the phone and then they ask the other person. And then as they learn, and that's how we start by learning the company. So all these systems, my remote team members, whatever they're going to do, if they're doing move-ins, they're going to study that system. They're going to go through it. They're going to go through. We have videos in our systems. We have ways that we talk about it. And so when they, and I'll ask them, I say, I give them one task. Do you understand what you're supposed to do here? Yes, I do. Okay. You're going to answer the phones and you're going to do this task for the next week. You're going to do everything on this task. And I want you to call me. For me, it's David because David's my manager. I want you to call David every time you have a question. I expect you, and I tell them this in advance, I expect you to call him 10 to 12 times a day. I said, for the first week, I expect you to be calling him every time you have any type of question. Now, what we have to understand is remote team members, if they're not told, hey, I want you to call it when you do this, they're so used to being afraid of, I'm going to lose my job if I ask too many questions. I'm going to lose my job if I don't get this right. Well, you're going to lose your job if you don't ask questions with me. You're going to lose your job if you don't want to do it right. So I really stress that, hey, I want you to ask questions. I want you to be. And so for the first month, you lose time and money with a remote team member. You do because mm. you're working, you're, you're training them. After that, they're amazing, but you have to train them. And so I have one remote team member who's with, been with me for a year and a half. He's awesome, David. And his main job is training employees and working on our systems and doing every technology. He has like 10 jobs. But, you know, but when we start a new team member, he's working hand in hand. And I know for the next month that David's busy. And then a month later, I'm going to have a good employee that can get his job done. So extending out this metaphor about your relationship with these remote team members and the degree to which they are integrated versus people that are just mechanistically doing tasks far away on the other side of the world. Have you met these folks in, in person, these, these remote team members? Yes. Meet them. I go down once a quarter and I do quarterly reviews. Um, and eventually when I get bigger, David will do the quarterly reviews and he will meet with them once a quarter, but I like going down there. I'm going down there in eight days and we're doing our Christmas party in November. Um, I'll take them out. Nice restaurant, do a nice night. I, I know about them. I know that they are employees of mine. I don't look at them as remote team members. Two of my um, remote team members are coming to Vegas for my systems workshop and they'll be in there working with us in Vegas. Uh, one was at the last one in September. Um, I have uh, Chris Molinex with CRM Properties. I think he's bringing two of his remote team members. Uh, 
Another one, uh, Matthew Camara, he's bringing one of his remote team members to Vegas in January. So we're involving them, not only in our company, but fly them out, fly them out to our office if they can fly out. So I, I uh, Jason Wolf from uh, Salt Lake City, his, his remote team member has been out to his office for like a week, spent time with the company, learned the company. He's doing amazing. So it's, it's more investing your time. These are employees. That's all they are. They're employees of yours that happen to live in another country. And that's it. Uh, guys, I couldn't have said it better myself. I sincerely and strongly echo everything that you just said. Um, love that. Good, good summary. And you can just imagine what that is contrasted against in terms of the, the kind of mental pictures that a lot of people conjure up when they hear the word VA. So it's great. Appreciate the summary. Enough on that. Let's talk about the actual events that you do. Uh, this is obviously not a pitch because there's nothing to pitch. You're doing one in January, but it's sold out. But let's just <clears throat> imagine that it wasn't sold out. Tell, tell us a little bit about this format for workshops that you run and, uh, and why you're qualified, by the way, because I know you have a teaching background. So kind of uh, unpack this whole thing for me. I was in education for 17 years and I loved teaching. I went all the way up to being a school principal. Uh, when the crash happened, I wanted to, I love money too. And <laughs> there was, there was a lot of uh, distressed properties in my area in California and I could buy $400,000 houses for 170. So, um, I left and went full time into investing thinking I would probably go back. Then I, that's how I got into property management. I had a lot of houses and I didn't, um, all of a sudden I was like, okay, well, I got to learn. I went to a NARPM conference and next thing I know, I, instead of be going back into being a principal, I started a property management company. I love teaching. I love education. I love working with people. Um, I mean, like at the, at the last conference we were at NARPM national, I just had so much fun hanging out with all my other property managers talking stuff and going through that. So, um, what our conference is, is it's a workshop. It's not a conference. And it's basically, I will do it as long as I have fun and as long as it benefits my company. Um, a year ago, I did this big, big thing. It was more of a, it was more of a conference and it was all day long and I got nothing out of it. I didn't get anything done. And I, so I don't, and then so in September, you were there in September, did a small group. I just wanted to try it again. And it went back to the roots and the roots is, you know, 20 companies, not a lot of companies. And the main purpose of it is to work on your systems. So this one, we're doing a little bit different because I want to see Zappos. So we're going and doing a tour of the Zappos company culture on Monday morning. So we have an hour and a half tour. Then we have uh, th four hours of classes and that's it. And that's it for the Tuesday and Wednesday. You're working on stuff. So we have four hours of classes. I'm doing one on, uh, what I've seen good and bad in systems of the last two years from being doing these things. And I'm not an expert. I'm just going to tell you all my mistakes and all my, all my pluses, you know, you'll get to see what I've done. The next one is we have Wolfgang Krosky. Um, he's out of Pittsburgh, California. He's really into Zapier and he's really into automating systems and making them go quicker. And so he's doing automation, how to get automation in your systems, how to make your systems so they save you money because they're quicker. So I, why did I, why is Wolfgang talking? Because I've heard Wolfgang um, on Facebook and I texted him. I said, I want to hear him. So that's why he's there. So it's kind of like, if we do what I want to do, I'm going to say. And then the next one, I'm going to be talking about virtual assistants with Gwen Aspen. 
Gwen yeah. Aspen's from, she's going to be there talking with me. And we're going to be going over all the mistakes, kind of like what we just said right now, that people are making why virtual assistants don't succeed and why, what you need to do to make it succeed. So it's going to be the top 10 reasons VAs don't succeed. And then the last one is you. You are going to be there and you're going to be talking about the future of systems and what's coming out in systems and all that we need to look forward to systems. So I'm excited to hear you speak. I always love like hearing uh, lead, people from Lead Simple go. And so um, why are those four people speaking? Well, one of them is me, but the others are speaking because I wanted it and I want to hear it. So a lot of that's that. Then on Tuesday, we have a competition in the morning. There's me, you, and Wolfgang Krosky are going to be judging. Five people get to present their system. They have, te- they have three minutes to present it, four minutes audience questions, three minutes of our questions. Winner gets 100 bucks. And then that's from nine to 10. And the rest of the day is wide open. You work on your systems. There's nothing planned. There's nothing done. And then the last day we did last time in, in September, and I really like this, and that's why we're repeating it. Everybody gets one minute to give one idea that they think can make the most money for your company. Everyone throws $10 into a hat and then we all vote and the winner gets all the money in the pot. So mm-hmm. um, in last time, I don't know why this one, I thought it was like, so like last year, but I guess the people there hadn't heard it. It was pet rent. And I'm like, pet rent. That was so like 2018. And, and uh, so you never know what the idea is going to win. And that was, uh, I think that was Matthew Kamara and he won like 140 bucks. So um, then the rest of the day is working on your system. So it's very different. Like we have a 5,000 square foot room at the Rio. Um, so it's a big room. Uh, we have set, we set up tables, we have food there. We're going zip lining at night as together, going drinking and zip lining. Uh, we have really nice dinners planned. We have really fun things planned at night. So like, not only do you get to work on your systems, like I, the same people go to, go to them all the time. You'll notice that there's a lot of the same people. And it's like, I feel like they're my really good friends now. And then we have like 10 new people come and then they keep coming. And so um, it sells out pretty quick because people just like going and hanging out with their friends, working on their systems um, and doing stuff. So the benefit of the continuity of folks that have come over and over again, I think about Matthew, Chris, Julie, a bunch of, a bunch of names, a bunch of familiar faces. The benefit is that there is a group of people that are familiar with this format and that are really committed to actually taking the time to focus on documentation. And that's what I think is interesting about what you're doing is that this is focused work time, not sit and learn and be told what to do, but to actually create the mental space to work on systems. Because the idea of working on systems isn't new. If you're listening to this, you have heard about working on systems before. There, there is 0% about that idea that is new to you. But the question is, have you actually made the time to create the space to put yourself in a frame of mind to really commit to it? I think the timing of this is, is great, given that it is, it is in January. Um, when you think about how much people work through or what type of systems or processes somebody that is new to this way of thinking may kind of start at, what are some systems or processes that you would encourage somebody to start with? I would, a new owner onboarding. Um, It would be my, that is the first time that you put yourself out there in front of that owner. And if you have a sloppy onboarding process, it, it starts the owner off wrong. It starts them off saying, man, they really don't get back to me. These forms aren't in right. Um, you know, what do you do to make your owner onboarding? And I, I forget the book I read. It was something like uh, customer service. Uh, it was, I think you're having them speak at uh, 
PM Grow. Joey, um, Joey, Joey Coleman's book, Never Lose Another Customer? That one, yep, that one. And so um, Joey Coleman's book kind of like really taught me like, you know, you a lot of times you know, when you're getting the sale, you like boom, boom, boom. You like you're on top of it. your salespeople, your BDMs, they're 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 mastering it. And then all of a sudden you get them to sign up, like sign the contract and then they go into a black hole. Do they? Or do or are they or are they still like because you know Joey Coleman always talked about you know they're they're so happy when they sign that contract but then the next week they're having buyer's remorse make sure they don't have buyer's remorse and that new owner onboarding and doing it right and having the people hey I'm you know I just want to let you know we're here in the process we're so happy to have you on and having it systemized so that no owner slips through the cracks love it I. I mean, personally, I'll tell you, onboarding is really massively on my radar screen with the tech that leads Simplest Building. Up until this point, it's been a sales-focused CRM for PMs, meaning everything you need to actually close the deal. But when the deal is closed, the process is kind of done inside of Lead Simple. We are wading into onboarding territory in the near future. That's kind of directionally where the product has had more to come on that. And I love what you said about starting off the relationship on a great foot because the reality is the consumer, whether consciously or unconsciously, is always aware that the relationship is never going to get better. You don't start off with a baseline of crappy service and it gets better from there. It's only going to get worse during after that honeymoon period. So I love the encouragement in terms of where to focus there. Uh, now, we've talked about potentially doing a system, a small systems-focused event on the front side of PM Grow. No details on that. I really, I love the idea and I want to see more growth in this area. I do want to talk a little bit about automation on the tail end of this interview. Automation is one of these buzzwords. There's so much excitement just generally in the tech marketplace. People are talking about machine learning, AI, big data, blah, 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 blah. A lot of buzzwords, very little actual delivery. What is your view of the legitimate and practical opportunity for automation in this space going forward? I mean, I think that automation's necessary. Um, we think the systems, the automation, you need to have people touch. You need to have people that are still there. But if we can automate the stupid stuff, then we have more time to have people do the important stuff. If we can automate, you know, different letters that are being sent out, different emails, um, you know, with Lead Simple, it's all about automating, you know, the passive nurturing. You're not, you're not pushing send every time you send something passive nurturing you're not call you're not texting them every time you text them and with the you know lead simple but when they call you have more time because you're not sitting there typing in a you know 100 texts a day of the people you're trying to you know pass generate so you we need automation we need all that uh, but i mean the reason that wolfgang kroski is coming is because i'm not I, I don't believe i'm there yet i don't think i'm an expert in the automation part of systems that's my next my next goal, that's my 2020 goal. My 2020 goal is to really learn Zappos. Um, I just, one of my employees is taking um, a class on it right now. I just paid for him to take it. And he's taking it on Saturdays because I want, I want to be there. I, I, I want to be in that forefront of it. So I, I, you know, we don't, I don't want to be that property manager. That was like when I started my business and I walked into those, like they reminded me of like, the smoky rooms, even though it wasn't smoke, like the yellow, the yellow wallpaper. And, you know, they, you know, they did showings the old fashioned way and nothing was new to them. And everything was so like, 
1990. And, you know, we're, we're you know, with self-showing lockboxes with, you know, all the software coming out, we have to stay on top of our game. I mean, otherwise, you know, what's going to happen in the future? It's the, the your property management is going to be for the people that stay with technology. You want to disrupt yourself. I like it. Rather than let somebody else do it, rather than worry about this existential threat of, oh, is mine going to take over or Renner's Warehouse or the next 10 companies that are funded and come into this space. I like that advice. Uh, I got two, I've got, gotten two great pieces of advice in my life. The first is blame yourself. The second is disrupt yourself <laughs> rather than let somebody else do it. So I've got a new question. I want to wrap up some interviews with, and that is this, what is the end game of business for you, Paul? You optimize better systems, more efficiency, um, some, some growth. What's the end game of, of business for you? To take me out of the business, to make me obsolete. <laughs> I, mean, I want to, I mean, I look at people like, uh, like down in Florida, um, you know, uh, Tim, uh, my brain's Todd. Bre- Todd. Todd. It was like t- Todd, Todd Bream. I mean, Todd Bream is on a boat fishing all the time. Um, you know, he has his company. He did that three years ago. I want to have such good service that my employees can do it. And I'm working, you know, I'm, I'm making, and I, I want to be overhead, working on things overhead. I want to be going out there, helping other companies, teaching. I like teaching. I don't want to do the things I don't like. I don't like dealing with tenants. Um, I, I really don't. I, I don't like dealing with the crap. I don't deal with tenants anymore. I've hired people to do it. I've hired people to do, to do maintenance. I, I, so a couple of years ago, I was doing everything. And so now my, my goal lately has been get rid of the stuff I don't like. Eventually, I want to just do things that are overhead. I want to do things above the company. And I, I want to just be able to enjoy life and, and then do what I want to do in the company and not, not be forced to do something because it has to get done. To build a self-managing company, more or less. Is that fair to summarize? Yeah, def- definitely. I love it. Well, I think that's probably going to be a common answer. So I'll have to figure out how to tease more depth than that over time. But I think a self-managing company is a fantastic goal. And it is a acknowledgement that requires you to up your game as a leader, uh, as a greater and judger of character who you bring into the organization. So I think it's, I know that it is a worthy ambition and I love seeing you on that path, dog fooding, not just being up on stage giving advice that you're not accountable for, but dog fooding the the feedback and kind of this journey that you're on with others. And I look forward to seeing you in January. Thanks for coming on the show, Paul. Thank you so much, Jordan. It was a lot of fun.